God, we give it all to you today. Lord, it's yours. It sounds, it's, it's really kind of stupid of us to say we give it to you. It's yours anyway. Maybe we should say we, we let go of what we think is ours. And we acknowledge that it's yours to use however you see fit. And Lord, we stand today on your promises. We stand on our commitment. We stand on your call. We stand when others sit, when others shirk, when others cower and run from you and, and the, the vision you've put before them. We stand. We stand and say, yes, Lord. Do as you see fit. Use us how you, how you want to. God, we stand and we say yes. Open our hearts today to hear your word, God, to, to, to let it make an impact on our lives. Let us not harden our hearts. Let us not come to you expecting nothing, but expecting everything, because that's what you've got in store for us, Lord. We thank you. We love you, Lord. Move in this place today, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 37. Now, don't be frightened. It says Genesis 37 through 50. Yeah, if by my math, that is 13 chapters. Um, we're not going to go you know, word for word through every chapter. Hey, Russell, can you put my, my sermon up there, please, sir? Thank you, sir. This month, we, uh, we begin a new series. Now, we're still, we're finishing up, and we talked about this a little bit last week. We're finishing up this theme of On Mission with God that we've been on since January. Uh, we talked about understanding God's call in January and February, knowing that, that He is calling us, knowing not just that He's calling us, but what that calling is, understanding that the call, uh, the, the, uh, when God shows us something that He's doing, that's an invitation for us to join Him. He's not just saying, hey, look in this purdy. This is God saying, this is what I'm doing, come and join me. We saw all that. Then in uh, March, we looked at the fact that God will provide. We looked at different places where it, it just didn't seem like it was going to work out. But every time, God provided. We know that if God tells us to do something, that He will provide the means to do that. Regardless what those means are. Regardless of what we think we need, God knows, and He'll provide it. And then last month in April we looked at knowing our priorities. Knowing that, okay, if, if God's placed the call, He's invited us, and we know what that call is. And we know that He will provide for that call and for the things that we're supposed to be doing. Then let's get our priorities straight and know that the most important thing is what God has called us to. There are lots of things that can get in the way, but what is the one thing? What is the most important thing? So we've looked at all that. We're, we're ready to go. We're excited. Last Sunday night, we had our vision celebration, and we had a great crowd, and thank you for all of you who came. We, we see those, those things that God's doing and wants us to do, 
and we're excited about what's coming. But we need to know what is coming. And that's the series for this month. Know what's coming. There are blessings. Let me start out that way. There are blessings coming. God is going to do things in this church because of our willingness to obey Him that we cannot fathom right now. But with those blessings will come trials. And that's what we're looking at this week. With those blessings will come failures. And that's what we're looking at next week. With those blessings will come persecutions. And that's what we're looking at the last two weeks. Jesus said it. We're going to look at that May 20th. The persecution that Jesus talked about in, in Matthew chapter 24. And then we're going to talk about what Paul said on May 27th in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. The persecutions are coming. They made it clear. We need to know what's coming. Not so that we can avoid them. Uh, understand. And not so that we can say, well, if the persecutions are coming and the trials are coming and the failures are coming, we shouldn't do it. Oh, people, no. We just need to know that despite the trials and the failures and the persecutions, God has a plan for the backside. So we're going to start this morning with Joseph. We're all familiar with this story, or most of us, I would, I would dare say. We know his trials that we, he went through, and we're going to go through most of those this morning. But we need to understand a few things going in. First of all, that God gives the vision. We're going to see the vision, and I'm sorry, these are fresh batteries, and we're just going to have to put up with that noise, apparently. Uh, God gives the vision. God lets us know what we're going to be doing. He did that with Joseph. Yet the, the, Satan is going to do his best to stop it. See, any time a church is doing what it's supposed to, kind of ticks Satan off. And he's going to jump in the middle of that and try to mess it up from every possible direction he can. He's going to use big things and, and make them bigger. He's going to take little things and make them ridiculously out of proportion. But whatever he can do, he's going to use people we would have never thought would have been a part of the persecution, the trials, or the failures. He's going to use ways that we never saw coming. He's going to blindside us. The, the main way we defend against that is just pray up, people. Know that it's coming, and that when it does, we've got the, uh, the one on our side that we need. So we need to know that trials are coming. Turn to uh, 37, if you're not already there, and let's look at the trials of Joseph. Yeah, all of them are off, so it's me. First of all, first thing we need to see about Joseph is that he knew the direction of his life. Look at uh, verse 5 in chapter 37. We'll read 5 through 11. Then Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. They didn't like him to begin with. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. There were, by, they were, uh, there, were there, there we were, there we go, binding sheaves of grain in the field. Suddenly my sheaf stood up, and your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Are you really going to reign over us, his brothers asked him. Are you really going to rule us? So they hated him even more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and told it to his brothers. Look, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun, moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. 
He told his father and brothers, but his father rebuked him. What kind of dream is this that you have had, he said? Are your mother and brothers and I going to bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Let's remember, remember who Joseph is. Joseph is number 11 of 12 brothers, born to Jacob. Uh, Rachel was Joseph's mother. Rachel was Jacob's favorite. You remember the story of Jacob? He worked out the deal to marry Rachel and went to the wedding, veil over the face of his bride. They get to the honeymoon and he realizes, I got Leah, not Rachel. Okay? He little upset. They work out another deal. He goes ahead and gets Rachel, but he has to stay seven more years. Rachel is the favorite. Leah had children, boys. Leah's servant had children to Jacob, boys. Rachel's servant had children for Jacob, boys. Rachel had no kids. For a long time, Rachel had no children at all. Then, in Jacob's old age, Rachel gave birth to Joseph. In Jacob's mind, Joseph is his firstborn. Now, Reuben's the oldest, but Reuben was Leah's boy. And, you know, he's fond of Reuben, sure, but Joseph is his favorite because he is the firstborn of his favorite wife. And Jacob spoils him just a hair. Now we know the story of the, the coat of many colors. Actually, that makes a great story and, and one time I, I preached a sermon about Joseph and I showed a video of uh, Donnie Osmond from the um, Andrew Lloyd Webber musical Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. I didn't submit y'all to that today. Um, and you thank me. Um, but it wasn't, let, let, let's, let's clear up some bad translation from, from 1611. It wasn't a coat of many colors. As a matter of fact, the, tra the translation is really a coat with long sleeves, which really makes a lot more sense if you think about it. Those of you who, who work for a living with your hands, unlike me, um, a, a long-sleeved garment, what does it do? It gets in the way. It, it's not good for working on much of anything, whether you're herding sheep like Joseph and his brothers and, and Jacob did, or whether you're working on an oil well or you're, you're fixing a car or, or a tractor or, or whatever you're doing, sleeves get in the way. So you roll up your sleeves and get to work. We know that phrase. The fact that Jacob bought Joseph a coat with long sleeves instead of a vest tells us that Jacob didn't expect Joseph to work. Joseph was his prized possession. Joseph got to stay home. As a matter of fact, at this point, Joseph's 17 in the story, and he's, already, he's about to be told, hey, Joseph, go tell your brother something. Joseph was plenty old enough to be out working at 17 years old, but he was home while his brothers worked. So the guys didn't really like Joseph too much. Here he is. He's probably a good 15 years younger, maybe more, than Reuben, the oldest. And so Reuben at this point is 32, and he's looking at the 17-year-old staying at home. Reuben's got his own family now, but Joseph gets to sit at home and do nothing on down the line. That's where Joseph is. And then he gets these dreams. 
And I don't know Joseph's motivation here. I'm going to say, though, if you read back in a few, a few verses, Joseph's already tattled on the brothers for something. Uh, if you look back in verse, uh, I think it's 3, maybe verse 2, he's gone to Jacob and said, Oh, daddy, daddy, guess what, guess what Reuben and everybody did? So they're not fond of him. Then he gets this coat. Then he has this dream. But notice where the dream comes from. And we know this kind of in hindsight for Joseph, because Joseph was an interpreter of dreams. The fact that God spoke to Joseph for, uh, through a dream makes complete sense. Because jo Joseph had that relationship with God that he knew what dreams meant. But this wasn't even, you know, th this wasn't even an obscure dream. Even the brothers knew what these dreams meant. But this was a vision. Joseph didn't make this up. This was the vision that God had given. It was clear. The calling was clear. And at this point, let's remember this. He's 17 years old. I'm going to tell you his age as we go along, just so you can see what's happening. He's got this vision. He's got this clear calling. He knows what God has in, plan, uh, has in store for him, has planned for him. And then the trouble starts. And it's a long list of trouble. It goes on for the next 14 or so chapters. Or rather, no, eight chapters. I'm not good at math. Next eight chapters, we get to see the trouble. And, and with this trouble, with every trial, the vision seems further and further out of reach. We don't have record of it, but I think we can safely assume that Joseph is sitting there going, God, I trust you. You know, we, we read the story. We know what he uh, what, how he, how, how, what his relationship was with God. But you know he was sitting there thinking, God, what about that dream? What about that dream? First, skip on over to, verse, uh, to chapter 37, verse 18. Verses 18 through 28. Joseph's been told by his daddy, go, go get your brothers. He goes, he, they weren't where he thought they were supposed to be. He finds out they were further on. And verse 18 says, They saw him in the distance, and before he had reached them, they plotted to kill him. You could call that trouble. They said to one another, Here comes that dreamer. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. We can say that a vicious animal ate him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, the oldest. He tried to save him from them. He said, let's not take his life. Reuben also said to them, don't shed blood. Throw him into this pit in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him, intending to rescue him from their hands and return him to his father. See, Reuben's acting like the oldest here. When Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped off his robe, that long-sleeved robe, the robe of many colors that he had on. Then they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat a meal. They looked up, and there was a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were carrying aromatic gum, balsam, and resin going down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. 
boy, the scruples of his brothers. Let's not kill him. He's, he is our brother after all. We'll just sell him into slavery. His brothers agreed. When the Midianite traders passed by, they pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites who took Joseph to Egypt. So, so he sold into slavery. The Ishmaelites, on the, once they get to Egypt, turn around and they sell him to Potiphar. And we see that in verses 30, verse, chapter 37, verse 36. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guard. So he's gone from slavery in the area to slavery in Egypt. Now, location-wise, he's a long way from that dream he had just a few months before. He's nowhere near his family anymore. How in the world are the 11 sheaves going to bow down to his sheaf? How in the world are the 11 stars and the sun and the moon going to bow down to him when now he is a slave in Egypt? The vision is a long way off. But then there was some success. Skip over to chapter 39, verses 2 through 6. Things are looking up for Joseph all of a sudden. It says, the Lord was with Joseph, 39 chapter, uh, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, serving in the household of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor in his master's sight and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. From that time, he put him... From the time that he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. The Lord's blessing was on all that he owned in his house and in his fields. He left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Success, right? Finally. Now, I don't know what's going through Joseph's mind. We see I believe, a maturing already from the 17-year-old somewhat of a braggart. Slavery will humble you. But we see now that even in slavery, he's doing his best. He's given it all to God, and, and God is blessing him because of it. Even in the trial of slavery, Joseph, in his mind and in his heart, says, I will do it unto the Lord. And then let's let the chips fall where they may. He may have been plotting, who knows, somewhere in his head he's thinking, you know, if I get to be trusted enough, maybe I can get away from here. But Egypt's a long way from Israel without an airplane. So the, the whole escape plan, he may have just resigned himself to his fate and said, I'm going to do it the best that I can. He's now important. He's an important slave, a slave nonetheless, but he's important. He's one more step from that vision. He's away by location, but now he's away by, for lack of a better term, profession. He's got a good gig. It's not what he had planned. He didn't think that's what God was going to do, but that's where God has him now, so he's going to do his best. So the success, right? Things are going great until we get to verse 19 of chapter 39. See, Joseph had one problem. One thing going against him. He is good looking. Uh, he was easy on the eyes. 
Potiphar's wife noticed. She took a shine to him. A real bright shine to him. And Joseph refused. Joseph said no. And, and let's notice, we, we need to go back a verse or two and notice what Joseph said in verse 8 of chapter 39. He refused said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not concern himself with anything in his house, and he has put all that he owns under my authority. No one in this house is greater than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. So how could I, and notice, notice this, this little phrase here. So how could I do such a great evil and sin against God? Not sin against Potiphar. Notice that Joseph's allegiance as a slave, yes, is to his master. We just saw that whole thing. But the sin that he would commit would be against God. So even in this trial, even in this temptation, Joseph was faithful to God. And that got him all kinds of kudos, right? Not so much. Verse 19, when his master heard the story, what story? She said Joseph tried to um, initiate, okay? And uh, when in fact she did, and he refused, she came up with this story, told him that it, Joseph was violent against her. And when his master heard the story, verse 19, that his wife told him, these are the silly things your slave did to me, he was furious and had him thrown into prison where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph was there in prison. Wait a minute, God. Okay, you gave this vision. I'm going to be something that, people, that, that my family bows down to. And then I was sold into slavery, but at least you know I was right there. But then, then, then the slaves took me to Egypt. That's a long way from, from the vision. And then you sold me uh, to this guy Potiphar, or I was sold to Potiphar. But things started looking up. You know, I, I, I followed you, God. I trusted you, God. I did everything to your glory, God. And look what I get, I get for it. Prison. Not real fair. He might have thought. Somewhere in there, I'm guessing, I would have. So I assume Joseph would have to. So he's in prison. But... Verse 21, if we read on ahead just a little bit, we see success again. Joseph's successful in prison. First, I was a slave. He thought that was bad, I'm sure. I don't like being a slave. But, man, it was better than being in prison. But look at verse 21, chapter 39. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. Wait a minute, God. You could have kept me out of prison. Explain to me how you're extending kindness to me. Could you not have extended kindness to me, I don't know, say a week ago before I was in prison? That, that, might have, that would have been me. doesn't appear that it was Joseph. Back to verse 21. He granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. The warden put all the prisoners who were in the prison under Joseph's authority... And he was responsible for everything that was done there. The warden did not bother with anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And the Lord made everything that he did successful. Success. Finally, 
sort of. Well, I'm in prison, but at least I'm in charge of the prison. You know, maybe he got the food with fewer maggots than everybody else got. Um, maybe he actually got a jar for a toilet instead of the floor. I don't know what the perks were to being in charge of the prison. But the Lord was with him. Again, God, couldn't he have just kept him out of prison? Why prison? Would it not have worked? You know, Potiphar, slavery, that was all right. But why prison? And why successful in prison? I mean, thanks. I don't want to seem ungrateful here. But I've been in prison. What good is that? One more trial. One more success. See, verse 39, end of 39, and on into 40, Pharaoh got a little upset with some of his, uh, his servants, his cupbearer and his baker, threw them in prison. Threw them in prison where Joseph was. While they were there, they both had a dream. They heard that, that uh, it got back to them that Joseph could interpret dreams. Actually, uh, Joseph asked him, why are you so sad? And, well, we had dreams, and we don't understand what they meant. So he says, tell me. Uh, not because I interpret them. He says in verse 8 of chapter 40, don't interpretations belong to God. Even in the midst of this trial, he recognizes that the success that he has, even in prison is a result of God, and he knows God's power even in prison. Even during this trial, he recognizes God's the one in charge. He's the one that interprets dreams. So tell me the dream, guys. What, what is it? And, and, and God will, will interpret the dream for you. So the, the cupbearer says, I had this dream. It, there was this vine, and, and, it, and it grew while I was watching it. It flowered and, and blossomed, and it grew uh, three bunches of grapes, and I squeezed the three bunches of grapes into the cup, and I get into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave it to him, and he drank. And Joseph says, I can tell you what it means, because God told me. The three bunches of grapes are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head, and you will get your position back, and you'll serve him as his cupbearer again. Oh, the beggar's all excited because he's thinking, you know, I had a dream that was real similar to that. So let me tell you my dream, Joseph. Let me tell me my dream, Joseph. Please, please, please. Okay, tell me your dream. And the baker says, I had three loaves of bread stacked on my head. And, and birds came and started eating the top loaf. And Joseph said, your dream is similar. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from your body and the birds will eat you. Baker was not too excited about his interpretation of the dream. So, sure enough, three days later, Pharaoh calls him up. Joseph tells the, the cupbearer, he doesn't bother telling the baker anything, tells the cupbearer, hey, when you get to Pharaoh, could you remember me, please? You know, tell him that I was an all right guy and, and you know, that I'm, I'm kind of here because for something I really didn't do, uh, maybe he'll have, could you just remember me, please, Cupbearer? You sure thing, I'll do it. Cupbearer gets there, sure enough, they hang the, the baker, and the birds come and 
eat him. Uh, the cupbearer gets his spot back and he serves Pharaoh. And in all the excitement of being back in his position and the comfort of now eating food without worms and, and getting to take a nap on cushions instead of rock, he completely forgets about Joseph. Once again, Joseph is forgotten. Verse 23 tells us, Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. One more time. Vision, slavery, Egypt, Potiphar and success, prison. Interpreting dreams. Oh, hope, yes, maybe. No. Forgotten. Again. He's in prison. And as far as he knows, he's stuck there. Except... God is still in charge of the situation. Chapter 41, skip on ahead. Pharaoh starts having dreams. You may notice a theme here about dreams. Pharaoh has some dreams. He, he, he has a dream one night that there are really, really fat cows come up out of the, uh, the Nile River. Seven of them, to be exact. They look great. They've been eating coastal, I guess. Uh, they are sleek, and, and, and they've got all the meat, and it's no fat. And I don't know. Y'all know cows better than I do. But these look good, okay? Pharaoh understands that. Then seven more cows come up out of the Nile. They're the ugliest, scrawniest, nastiest-looking cows Pharaoh has ever seen. He's a little scared of them. I mean, they're just that. They're, I, can't, I can't imagine, you know, they don't look good. And they proceed to walk up and eat the seven good cows with no change. They get fat because they ate the seven cows. They stay scrawny and ugly. Well, Pharaoh suddenly wakes up. Ah, whew, just a dream. And he goes back to sleep. And dreams a second dream. A wheat stalk sprouts up, stalk of grain. Seven fat, plump stalks of grain, come, uh, heads of grain come out of that one stalk. Then seven dried, withered, useless uh, stalks of grain come out and eat the seven good ones. And he wakes up. Ah. Now he doesn't sleep the rest of the night because he's worried. He calls all of his magicians, all of his wise men, anybody in town that he thinks can tell him what that dream means. Nobody can tell him. And then the cupbearer says, I'm an idiot. Oh, it was just a few years ago, I think about three years to be exact, that I was in prison because you kind of got ticked off with me, Pharaoh. That's okay. I deserve to be ticked off with. And, and you put me in prison, and I had a dream, and, and, and the, the, you didn't like the baker at the time either, and he had a dream, and we told these dreams to a guy in prison named Joseph. And he told us what the dreams meant, and sure enough, it happened just like he said. He can probably tell you what your dream means. So they call jo Joseph, and uh, in chapter 37, I'm sorry, chapter 41, verse 37, shows us the results. But Joseph comes and tells him, your dreams, fat cows, seven of them, seven good years, great years, skinny cows, nasty cows, 
Seven years of famine. So bad that you'll forget the other seven years of plenty. The stalks, same thing. The fact that you got, had the dream twice means God is telling you, you can be doubly sure it's going to happen this way. And Pharaoh's a little concerned, as you might imagine. And Joseph says, what you need to do is you need to set somebody up important over the whole thing, and for seven years, take a fifth of everything that everybody grows. Make it a 20% a, a tax. Take it all. Put it in the storehouses. Store it for the seven years of plenty so that when the seven years of uh, famine come, there'll be enough food for everybody. Pharaoh says, that's a great idea. Who in the kingdom could do that? Verse 37. The proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find anyone like this, a man who has the Spirit of God in him? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one as intelligent and wise as you. You will be over my house, and all my people will obey your commands. Only with regard to the throne will I be greater than you. Joseph got the Pharaoh's ring. That's like the credit card. The, the Platinum American Express with no limit and no fee. Joseph gets to do whatever he wants in all of Egypt. The only thing he can't do is sit in the throne. Pharaoh sits back and takes naps all day long. That's all he does because uh, Joseph's now in charge. Not only now does Joseph has, have success, but he is exalted. And he's 30 years old. We're now 13 years from the vision. 13 years from the dream. We're 13 years and quite a few miles from the dream. We're, we're 13 years and quite a few miles, and I think we could say that the business Joseph was in, being a shepherd, and the business he is now in, being president and CEO of, G of Egypt, are light years apart. I would dare say that Joseph could say, you know what? Whatever. Look where I am now. And you know, I, I thought it was going to be one way, but maybe I was wrong. Maybe God didn't call me. Maybe that vision wasn't from God. After 13 years and 1,000 miles or so, and yeah, I'm living the life now. He got a wife. He had kids. He's in charge of Egypt. God really didn't call that. He didn't call me to that. Maybe that dream was for somebody else and I didn't know it. Maybe that was the mutton I had that day. Too much mustard on my mutton. And I had a bad dream. I don't know. That's not me. This is me. He could have said that. I'm not confident he said that. He understood the God he served. He understood that the dreams that he had interpreted for other people had all come true. He understood that I serve a God greater than me, greater than my circumstances, and greater than my trials. So I'm 
I'm going to lean toward the idea he still had in the back of his mind this vision. I don't know that he had any inkling that it would work out the way it did, but he still knew God said something to me on that day. And God doesn't go back on his word. So how's it going to work? We need to understand, as Joseph understood, is that it was God's vision. Therefore, it would succeed. That was God's doing. That dream was His. So all the trials, all the steps, all the distance, all the hardships did not negate the dream. That was God's dream. Chapter 42, verses 6 through 9. The famine came. They did exactly what Joseph said. And now Egypt is the most powerful country in the wor world. Why? They have food and nobody else does. You watch the commercials and you watch uh, Glenn Beck and some others tell you that when the, the, the crash comes, when the U.S. economy is, is completely destroyed, gold is what you need. No, folks, Cheerios and, 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 and coffee. That's what you need, because Cheerios and coffee will get you more than any pound of gold would get when the economy is busted. And that's what we see here. Money meant nothing. Land meant nothing. Give me something to eat. And we see that over and over in the Bible. So Joseph knew. And people were coming from all over the place. Ended up, Egypt ending up, ended up owning all the private property of all of its people. Because when they ran out of money to buy grain, they sold livestock. And when they ran out of livestock to buy grain, they gave the Pharaoh their land, and they got grain. They would give up anything to eat. Jacob hears about it, because the famine's harsh all over the world, says, I hear there's food in Egypt. Go to Egypt and get us some food. So he sends all of his boys except Benjamin, because he won't lose Benjamin. Benjamin's the baby. Benjamin is the only child left of Rachel. Rachel's dead. That's all he's going to get from Rachel. Benjamin ain't going, he says. So he sends his boys down there, the other ten. They get in front of uh, Joseph. They come to him, and he plays with them for a while. And, you know, they kind of deserved it. But in verse 6 of chapter 42, it says, Joseph was in charge of the country. He sold grain to all its people. His brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the ground. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke harshly to them. I don't blame him, you know, I, I don't. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan to buy food, they replied. Although, verse 8, Joseph recognized his brothers. They did not recognize him. At this point, Joseph is, oh, he's 37 to 40 years old. We've already gone through seven years of, of, of plenty from the time he was 30. We've already gone through a few years of famine, enough that Israel, that the Canaan, is sending people down. So he's probably about 40 years old. They are still shepherds. This puts now... 
somewhere around the 55-year-old stage. He's gray, but he still looks like Reuben. He's still got the beard. He's still got the mustache. He still probably wears similar clothes. Joseph has gone from the shepherd with the long hair and the beard and the, and, and the fancy coat, but other than that, he just looked like everybody else, to now he's probably got his head shaved and no beard except maybe a little goatee, but usually the pharaoh only had that. So he's probably clean-shaven. He's probably wearing the, the Yule Brenner outfit from uh, uh, the Ten Commandments. He's got the, the sheet around him, and but all buff and bowed up, you know, like me. Um, uh, um, all buff and bowed up like uh, Yule Brenner. And uh, they don't recognize him. They don't know who this guy is. And of course, he's speaking through an interpreter. He's speaking Egyptian to his interpreter, who's then speaking Hebrew to his brother. I mean, he's playing them good. But verse 9, chapter 42, verse 9, Joseph remembered his dreams about them. And then he begins to play with them some more, calls them spies. We're now 40 years old. Wow, that's annoying. Okay. Now it's back on. Might work. We'll see. We're now 40 years old. We are 23 years removed from the dream. He now has his brothers in front of him. He could, he could just you know, sit back and say, kill them. And they'd do it just because Joseph said so. And it would all be over. But Joseph remembered his dreams about them. Forty years old. And it all comes to fruition. Eh, not quite. Remember, he plays with them. He says, who are you? What are you? I don't believe you. You're spies. Oh, no, we're not spies. We're shepherds. There were 12 of us brothers. One's no longer with us. The other is still at home with our very old father. Uh, we're shepherds. That's all we are. And he says, your father's still alive? Yes, he's still alive. And the younger brother's with him. And, and he makes them say, all right, you all have to go to prison. One of you can go back. And if you bring me this young boy, he wouldn't have been a young boy at this point. He'd have been you know, mid-30s, but you bring me the younger one, then I'll believe you. Oh, Jacob's gonna freak. And he did. And then Joseph's a little nicer and says, tell you what, I'll just keep one. The rest of you can go back, but I'm gonna keep one of you, and, and when you bring the younger one back, then you can uh, do what you need to do. They go and they take their their, uh, their sacks of grain that he, they bought, and Joseph puts their money back in there, and when they get up, to, they're feeding their mules, and they go in to get the grain, their money's there, and oh my heavens, and they know, and they say over and over, God is repaying us for what we did to Joseph. They just need, this is our punishment. So they go back home and they tell Jacob, you're going to kill me, you're going to kill me, I am not sending Benjamin. So they don't. And they run out of food, and finally Reuben spe speaks up, or, or uh, rather Judah maybe, I've forgotten now, speaks up and says, look, Jacob, Paul, Daddy, we're going to die anyway. Benjamin's going to die of starvation. 
we might as well go try. And Jacob says, ah, I guess so. All right, fine, go. They go, and he, he invites them all in. They have supper. Now the eleven bow to him. Benjamin fulfills the eleven. The first dream has been fulfilled. The sheaves have bowed down. He feeds them. He, he blows their mind. He sets them up in order of age. They figure out how he did that. They feed, he feeds them all, but Benjamin gets five times as much as everybody else. Here's your grain. Go back to your, your dad. But he puts his silver cup in Benjamin's bag, his drinking cup in Benjamin's bag. They go off. They, some Egyptian riders come up. Wait, you stole from our master. No, he didn't. Yeah, you did. Well, you can have whoever did it because we know we didn't do it. And he said, oh, look here in Benjamin's bag, a silver cup. Oh, heavens. So they go back, and Joseph plays with them a little bit more, and finally Joseph can't take it anymore. I mean, he sees them, and, and he starts crying every time he sees them now. And finally, finally, he presents himself to him and says, look, it's me, your brother. Everything's going to be okay. First part of chapter 45, verse 1. Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of all of his attendants, so he called out, send everyone away from me. No one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers, but he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and also Pharaoh's household heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph, is my father still living? <laughs> but his brothers were too terrified to answer him. Go figure. Verse 4, then Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. And they came near. I'm Joseph, your brother, he said, the one you sold into Egypt. Now, all the trials, all the struggles... All the steps away from the vision that got him so far from it. Joseph sees in verse 5. And now, don't be worried or angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years... He's 39. And there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Therefore, <laughs> therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Every trial, every struggle, every hardship, every step away from the vision, as we see it, as Joseph saw it, was in fact one step closer to the vision. And I'm probably walking the wrong way. The vision's here. This was when he received it at 17 years old. What he didn't know was that the vision was really right here, too, when he was 39. He saw it as a 17-year-old, not as a 39-year-old. He saw it as a kid saying, not as a 39-year-old, as the ruler of Egypt, as the head of Egypt. 
Now he sees that the vision was right here all along, and God had to get him to that spot. Could he have taken a more direct route? Sure, God can do anything. But what did it do to the life of Joseph? How did it change Joseph's life? We can see that if we flip over to chapter 50 in verses 19 through 20. Jacob has died. All the family has moved down to Egypt. Incidentally, remember, Abraham was told, when he was told the blessings that he would receive, one of the things that would happen was they would go to Egypt and be strangers in a strange land for a long period of time and then be brought out. Well... They are now in Egypt. This begins the 480 so years that they were in Egypt before Moses brings them out. It was all part of the plan. This was just one part of God's massive plan. But Joseph sees his part and understands what God said to him or what God did through him. So when Jacob dies, everybody mourns. He's dead now in verse 19 of chapter 50. And the brothers start worrying. Now that Jacob's dead, Joseph's going to have his revenge because why? Well, that's what we would do. Understand, anytime someone assumes you would do something, a particular thing, whatever that thing is, that's because they know they would do it if they were in your shoes. Different sermon, sorry. Uh, so they go to Joseph and beg him. Your daddy, Jacob, said that when he died not to kill us, uh, not be mean to us. So just to, we're your slaves. You can have us. We just don't kill us. And Jacob, I'm sorry, but Joseph in verse 19 said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. All of our trials, all of our hardships have a reason. No matter how far they seem to be from the original vision, every step is getting us to the vision, to the call. Other people are involved all along the way. Other things happen. Outside forces come and, and think, we think, just completely ruin it. God, how in the world, not only how, but why did you let it happen that way? And God says, did I not give you the vision? I know when it comes to fruition. Just wait. Every trial, every hardship led up to that one event. See, we have to understand that the vision was not about making Joseph king. He may have thought that at 17 years old, whoo, I'm going to be king. That's going to be great. He might not have been so excited had he known the steps to get him there. But the whole point was not to put Joseph on a throne. That was merely means to an end. Notice, Joseph's life was just one step 
in the grand scheme of what God was doing since Genesis 3 when he said, I will put enmity between the woman and the man, the, the uh, and serpent and the man. The serpent will bite his heel, but the man will crush his, the serpent's head. That's Jesus and the devil. That's Genesis, that happening. Genesis 12, God tells Abraham, I will bless you. Not only will I bless you, but all nations through you will be blessed. Why? Because the Jews are so great? No, but because Jesus was going to be in the line of Abraham. Jesus was that promise. Joseph was just a small part of that great line of, of God working through history to get us to A.D. 0, B.C. 4, actually, when Jesus was born, A.D. 33-ish, when Jesus was crucified, and salvation came to the whole world. That's what the point was. The point was not to make Joseph king. It was about what God was going to do. It was about what God had planned. It was about God accomplishing what he sets out to do, regardless of the hardship, regardless of the trials. First Baptist Church, when God calls, the vision is not about you. When God calls, the vision is not about us. The vision is about God. And it's about God, what God is going to do. It's not about what we're going to do. It's not about what we're going to become. It's not about what God is going to make us, unless you're talking about what he makes us in our hearts. There is that. But it's not about us. It's about what God has set out to accomplish and what he's going to do. So yes, in the vision that God has given for First Baptist Church, there will be trials. And there will be times when we think there is no way we can accomplish what God has called us to. We'll look at all the books and we'll say it can't happen. And then we'll think it can because we got X. And we'll see people come. People will want to be a part of what we're doing. And we'll think, yes, we've got the people now. And yes, we've got the finances. And I don't know, a tornado wipes out the place. And all the finances we thought we had have to go into rebuilding. I don't know. I'm making stuff up, I hope. And we will say, well, no longer can we accomplish the visions God called us to because we have to do this now. When in fact, that event is just one more way that God is accomplishing what he set out to do. We don't understand, but people, we don't have to understand. God is at work. God has a vision for you individually. He's got a vision for our church. He's got a calling for a church, our church. But right now, he's calling individuals. He's calling anyone here who does not know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. That's a part of the vision. That's the vision. That's the one thing that we talked about uh, a few weeks ago, is seeing the lost come to know Christ. And if we're not doing that, then nothing else matters. So what is he saying to you? What is Jesus, what is that feeling that you have? What is that calling, that, that pull you have to him? That's Jesus saying, come home. That's Jesus saying, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest.
That's Jesus saying, I have presented, I have given the way out of your sin. I have saved you from your sin into eternal life. I have paid the price. And how do you receive that? You admit that you're a sinner. You have broken God's law. You are not going to heaven. You are not pleasing to God. You are at war with God. Admit that. But that doesn't, it's not where it ends. Believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That he bridged that gap. That he put down the conflict between you and God. As a matter of fact, he put himself in the middle of the conflict and said, I will take the wrath. I will take the punishment so that you don't have to. And he hung on the cross and he died. And he took the punishment. But he didn't stop there. Three days later, he rose from the grave. Why? To show you that it worked. It's true. Not only are your sins forgiven, but you can have eternal life. That's the Jesus we believe in. And then we confess with our mouths, with our actions through baptism, that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's how we accept Christ. That's how you can have a relationship with the creator of the universe, the one who is working out from Genesis 3 to Revelation 20. You can have the, a relationship with that God through his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are in charge of your vision, that we're not. I thank you that you are working it out and we're not. I thank you that you have the control and we don't. And God, when things come our way, when trials occur, and we say, God, there's no way you can do this, we know you can. Because we can look at Joseph's life and we see that what others mean for evil, you will use for good to bring about the salvation of many. Lord, let us be the church that is involved in bringing about the salvation of many. And let it begin this morning with the hearts that are here that do not know you as Savior, but feel this pull, feel this tug from you. Lord, move in this place this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So come be a part of the vision. Be a part of the first vision, the vision that Jesus has for your salvation. Come down front. I'll be down here. Come and pray with me. If you don't understand, we can talk. We can talk after church this morning, afternoon. Tell us on a, a connection card that you've made a decision, that you want to come back and talk to me this week. Let's work through this. Accept Christ this morning. Maybe you've accepted Christ and you want to be baptized. We can do that. We can set that up in the next few weeks to have you baptized. Maybe you want to join the church. You've accepted Christ. You've been baptized. But now you want to be a part of what we're doing here. Come join our church. You're a member and you know God's working on you. Where is he asking you to be involved in the vision? What vision are you going to be a part of? Now is your time to a decision. As Mike and Edda lead us, you come.